Hey everyone, this is Jason Shepard, and you're listening to the Instrument Pilot Podcast by M0A.com, where a good pilot is always learning. What are some considerations when flight planning to fly from one airport to another in the IFR environment? Hey everyone, Jason Shepard here of M0A.com. So excited, so blessed, so thankful to have you all on the Instrument Pilot Podcast today, brought to you by our number one rated online ground school. Visit groundschoolacademy.com for all your written, your knowledge test prep, your check ride prep, and most importantly, for making you a safe, real world instrument pilot. And that's what we're going to talk about today, this idea of IFR flight planning and how does it really change from the VFR environment. And I'm just, I'm going to share with you a lot of what's going to be on the test type stuff and a lot of just real world applicability. You know, I really kind of want to just have a conversation about where we start with all this. And for me, if I know, and I would say 80% of the time, I file IFR. It could be a clear in 10 day, and oftentimes I find myself just filing IFR. Now, I don't get fancy with a lot of my IFR flight plan. Most, in fact, geez, 99% of the time, and we've discussed this on Facebook and other places before on the mzroy.com Facebook page, that most of the time on those days, I file IFR direct on a, on a clear day like that. And most of the times I'll get it. And the reason I do that is because we've all been stuck in the VFR flight following environment or stuck outside of it trying to get into the flight following environment and just not able to make it happen because they're too busy. VFR flight followings on a workload, a time permitting basis, and they simply just don't have time for us. So I'm going IFR in most cases anyways, just so I'm in the system. I'm always talking to somebody. Forbid I were to have an emergency, I'm already talking to the person that I would want to communicate that emergency to. So it's done, it's there, it's, it's really ready to go with that. What are some considerations, though, to look at? I mean, in the days leading up to a flight that I'm realizing is going to be IFR, I'm looking to see, well, how IFR is this flight really going to be? Because I certainly have personal minimums, and by no means am I going to exceed those personal minimums. So I'm constantly, and they don't have to be all perfect aviation resources. They can be, you know, uh, Weather Underground, the Wonderground app, uh, Weather Channel, wherever it is, then you jump into aviationweather.gov and start looking at some prog charts and TAFs and METARs as we're getting closer. And I'm seeing that, is this going to exceed my personal minimums? And while I'm doing that, I'm choosing my route. I'm considering MEAs and MOCAs and, and off-route obstruction clearance altitudes and, every, and everything else and, and looking to see what altitude is going to be appropriate for this. What route is going to keep me on? And more importantly, taking even a further step back, I mean, oftentimes, could you try just IFR direct? You, you could, because what do you do in the whole time you're up there anyways? You're always constantly asking for IFR direct. Now, no checkride examiner is going to accept that as an answer, though. They're going to want to hear you go through the preferred routes and everything else. But when's the last time you even saw an IFR preferred route from your airport? Because unless you're flying out of Los Angeles or Chicago or New York International, 
um, you know, JFK's airport, whatever it is, there's no preferred routing. They only go from the big airports. There's not preferred routing isn't set up for the general aviation environment. So what I do oftentimes is I'll go in for flight and I'll look and see what previous routes were filed, what previous routes were approved. And here's something else, a great little tip that a lot of people don't know about is it's tough when you're in a flight school environment that has a lot of different airplanes, but you could still do it manually. I have this set up automatically that all our aircraft that we own, I get flight aware alerts on. It makes me feel better. So especially now that we've really switched from all our flight plans are just filed on the iPad now. I mean, we used to call 1-800-WX-BRIEF, and I still do call them, but we used to not only call them for the briefing, but we'd call them to file. And we knew we talked to a human, and they actually have it, right? Um, but now you file it on the iPad, and you just kind of assume that ForeFlight pushed it to Duots, which pushes it to the, you know, and it just, to uh, uh, Lido's flight service, and you just kind of assume and hope that everything goes as planned, right? Well, I like to get the FlightAware alerts because I'll literally get a push notification on my iPhone that says, "Hey, two four five Tango Alpha is, uh, it, you know, IFR flight plan is received. We have it here." And ForeFlight will send you back a notification too, saying they received it. But it's nice to have it through another source. Oftentimes, as well. I'll receive my expected route on FlightAware. It's right there. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you here have gone through the trouble of planning this beautiful IFR cross-country, all this great routing, just to get to the hold short line or just to, just to fire up and get your clearance and have it all change? Or just to get that clearance and go to the whole short line and now approach once you're doing something totally different and throws everything off. And here you are reprogramming and everything else and it makes it so difficult sometimes. That's why I'm not kidding. When it's a pretty day, I'll just go IFR direct. And then I'll get the flight aware alerts. And if maybe that's approved, maybe they, they're sending me to a weird intersection. Well, you know what? I already have the spelling of that weird intersection and I'm going to program that into the G1000 before I even bother to contact clearance, assuming that that's what they're going to give me. And nine times out of 10, that's the case as well. Little, and that's, that is very real world flying. That is not going to fly on a check ride though. I'll tell you that they're not going to tolerate IFR direct. They're going to want to hear that. Yes, you look for preferred routes. Yes, I chose this route because of the MEAs, because of the MOCAs and MRAs and MCAs and all these different altitudes. They're also going to want to hear that when choosing my altitude, it was based on whether it's an east or west heading. I took into effect weather. I don't want to be in IFR conditions the entire time. I'd like to break through them and be on top. And these reports show the tops are here. I took a look at freezing levels and icing. I noticed that, listen, the freezing levels here, so I want to stay below that. Um, because flights in, into known icing conditions are prohibited. If I, there is known icing here, I'm going to stay below that. Now, that doesn't mean it couldn't descend, so I'm still going to be on alert for operating in icing conditions. And they're going to want to hear that you went through this process, which you should be doing every time as you plan this anyways. But my point of giving this to you is sometimes how we plan for a check ride, and you know this from private pilot, how we plan for a check ride sometimes, how we plan for real-world flying can be quite different. I mean... A check ride, they want to see a manual cross country, the nav log, everything filled out by hand, manual E6B in the real world. How's that same check ride examiner flying around? He or she's got it all on their iPad, all plugged in. Dispatch has already done the work for them. If they work for the airlines, whatever it may be, they've they've got a lot of that stuff done for them. You see, you see where I'm I'm going with this. There's there is something to be said, and trust me, don't don't misunderstand me. 
If you've been to any of my seminars, watched any of my videos, you know I am such an advocate for doing things the old-fashioned way. I like students to have a raw skill set to fall back on, but I'm not so naive to realize how we fly and operate in the real world. That, that I operate the same way, but I still know how to do an old-school cross-country nav log, weight and balance, to calculate these numbers, to make adjustments, to make diversions using just you know, simple pilotage and dead reckoning. I still have those skill sets to fall back on because I keep them sharp and do them every now and then. Once a month, I'll, I'll practice that and fly it that way. When's the last time you did a cross country without, uh, with just a sectional chart in the VFR environment, pilotage and dead reckoning, right? A lot of us, that skill set will erode quickly on us if we're not continuing to use it. So in the IFR environment, yes, I'm looking at preferred routing. Yes, I'm looking, uh, of course, I have to look at MEAs. I'm looking for the best route, but I'm also looking at what was approved in ForeFlight. What is FlightAware telling me I might get? What has been previously approved on FlightAware out of this airport for similar types of aircraft on similar types of routing? That way, I'm. have you ever sat there with clearance and they give you this intersection with just the weird, I don't know whoever thought of spelling some of these intersections and naming some of these intersections. I don't know if it's just a, it seems like a random jumble of letters sometimes. And you're sitting there with clearance. You're already, you know, nervous. You're an instrument student. Your instructor's sitting next to you. You want to get the clearance copied down right. You're trying to get the spelling of this. You just want to get the read back right. It's so much nicer to sit down and have it on flight aware already and go, oh, this is how we're going to spell that. So I'm ready to hear that already. I'm prepared for it. You, you follow me with that. It makes your life a little bit easier. What I'm saying is combined some of these real world things that you're not going to read about going to fly to where this stuff that I'm telling you is not going to be in a book or anything like that. There's a difference between what happens in the book and what happens in the real world. And I like to combine both of those a little bit to really get the most out of my flying, the most out of my flight planning as I'm really... Um, delving into these different items. But you know, none of this is possible without you having the ability to make smart go and no-go decisions. The ability to have your hard set personal minimum numbers, which I know I've done entire podcasts on, but having numbers that say, I will not go flying if the clouds are lower. And I said clouds. I didn't say broken overcast layer. That's a ceiling, right? I said Clouds, broken, overcast, few, scattered. There's clouds lower than 800 feet. I don't know what it's going to be for you, but you set up your personal minimums that way so you don't find yourself in a jam. We had this discussion not too long ago. Someone said, Jason, what do I do if I'm in IFR conditions and it's you know 100 foot overcast and I lose my engine? And I stopped for a second. I said, I hope I never find myself in that situation first off. Because first off, think about this. If you lose your engine in IFR conditions, you also lose your engine-driven vacuum pump, which means you lose your attitude indicator and your heading indicator. You're really in a tough jam. And now you have to take this airplane down somehow wings level down to 100 feet AGL, MSL, whatever the 100, you know, whatever, whatever it's actually, the ceiling's actually at, and break out. Hopefully I haven't hit anything up to that point and break out and find a spot to land within seconds. This is why I have, so what I told them is, you just don't put yourself in that situation. You, you hope you never find it. Um, I know it's probably a purely a hypothetical question, but you put yourself in a situation that says, I'm not gonna go fly if there's any clouds lower than 1,000 feet, lower than 800 feet, whatever, whatever it may be for you. So then when you 
forbid you were ever presented with that situation, you keep the wings level and you still have somewhat of an opportunity uh, to make the most of the situation. Do you, do you follow me with that? Plus, when you set your, your minimums at 1,000, say no less than 800 feet, you open yourself up to so many more approaches. Maybe there's a GPS outage, which I have sure experienced when the, the, uh, the military was testing its GPS jamming technology. So uh, we, we've experienced that. You wouldn't be able to shoot a GPS approach. Maybe that's happening. There's no ILS at the airport, but they have a VOR approach, which not only brings you down so much, but that's still an option. There's still an opportunity to possibly break out on that VOR approach because you've set your personal minimums. You never have to be anywhere in aviation. And if you feel like you have to be somewhere, you better have a plan to drive. Is what I always say. Don't put yourself in those tough situations. IFR flight plan starts with making that smart go or no-go decision. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we start looking into MEAs, my routes, east-west headings for my altitudes, weather, cloud bases, cloud tops for altitude, freezing levels, icing, ride reports. Then I start looking at these other items for my actual flight planning. And then we go to the pre-flight planning of, is, is my iPad update? Do I have current charts? Do I have you know backups to this digital, my iPad charts? Do I have printed out charts as well? Because you can never take those away from me. You, you follow me? And that could be an entire podcast in itself, just IFR pre-flight planning from there and making sure all my ducks in a row and everything is ready with that. But hopefully that gives you some insight, some real-world applicability, some different things to ponder and think about. But listen, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Instrument Pilot Podcast. Don't forget, we also have the Commercial Pot Podcast. If you want to go back to the Private Pot Podcast and the CFI, the Certificated Flight Instructor Podcast, just search M0A on iTunes and it'll come up for you all there. But listen, enjoy the rest of your day. And most importantly, remember... A good pilot is always learning. Have a great day, guys. See ya.